How would you describe your school culture on your campus? My next guest, Michael Earnshaw, believes it should resemble a punk rock band, and he explains how he changed the culture of his school through a portable desk and some popsicle sticks. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me, Josh. So this is actually our second time talking. I got to speak with you at the Teach Better 19 conference, and it was such a pleasure to meet you in person. We had connected on social media, but I'm actually seeing you in person, hearing you speak, and just the energy that you had both on the podcast and when you were speaking to the larger group was just incredible. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool because I I got to Teach Better a little late because I was in Florida earlier in the week. So I actually drove in, left my house about four, four thirty in the morning. So right. you know, in Chicagoland. I think you were the first session. By the time I got there, signed in, you were the first session I went and saw. So yeah, it was pretty fun. It was again cool to see people that you had connected with on social media, and then like when I was right. speaking, I was looking around the room like, "This is incredible!" Like these are, <laughs> I feel like I know right. everybody in the crowd, but I don't know them. I don't know a little, little bit of pressure too because you're providing something on a topic that you're supposed to be an expert in, but you also feel like there's a bunch of experts in the in the crowd. Yeah, I agree. It's, I was telling Ryan Sheehy after my session on Saturday that I was more nervous speaking there, mm-hmm. just with all these people I have known for so long through social media, yeah. as opposed to a hundred people, strangers, you know. Yep. Well, I know you're speaking a lot more, and we're going to talk about that. But just to start us off, your principal, how did you become a principal, and what was kind of your leadership journey leading up to that position? I was a middle school ELA teacher, and I never had any desire to get into administration. I enjoyed holidays off, the summers off. You know, I just, uh, I love just being in the classroom with my 25, 30 kids talking about, you know, novels and short stories and writing papers. And, you know, I started to get a little older and I was like, all right, it's time to go back for my master's degree. I want to get a bump up on the pay scale. And so I was going to go for just, you know, like curriculum. Mm -hmm. And my current uh, administration at the time had told me, you know, no, you you need to go for administration. That's going to open way more doors for you, even if you don't choose to be a principal or an assistant principal. And, you know, I kind of molded over for a while and I said, all right, you know, that's what I'm going to do. So I got married, came home from the honeymoon and you know, registered, signed up for my administrative journey. Mm-hmm. And it probably was my second semester where I kind of realized, you know, and it sounds cliche, but it's so true that, you know, I realized I can really affect and have a bigger impact on so many more lives in a leadership roles as opposed to just my classroom, you know. So I kind of branched out and I became a team leader for our our grade level team. We were a multi-grade team, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. So I became the team leader for that. So I got some experience there and I just kind of fell in love with that whole other aspect of more so kind of guiding the adults and leading the adults and see the impact that had when they took it back to their students. So it actually took a while after I finished school. My, my district at the time kept telling me, oh, next year, so-and-so is going to retire. We're going to move you right in there. And then no one retired. Mm-hmm. Then the next year, same thing. So I finally landed an assistant principal job in the district I'm currently at at the middle school. I was there for two years, which was a great experience because the way their middle school was set up, there's a principal and each grade level has an assistant principal. So uh, yeah, essentially I kind of, I looked at it as like I was the principal of seventh grade and the principal 
was more kind of like in a superintendent's role, kind of overseeing the the 900 kids in the school. Mm-hmm. So within those two years, I, I learned a lot. And then an opportunity came up in our district. Um, one of our, the, the principal at the building I'm at, she was, had got a promotion to a district office job. And so I threw my name in the hat and got uh, the role as principal. And looking back now, maybe I wasn't completely ready. I thought after two years, I'd be ready for it. So I, I always kind of say when I speak, you know, I ask, you know, who, who, who's teachers in the room? Who's an assistant principal? Who's a principal? And when the assistant principals raise their hand, I usually tell them, you know, don't rush out of that. Do that as long as you can, because it's, you've got responsibility and you, you're, you're showcasing your leadership skills, but real heavy things fall down on the school. Mm-hmm. It's going to fall on the principal, you know, and it, it's nice to kind of be able to step back and say, well, how are you going to handle this rather than, than taking it on? I mean, but I love what I do now. I mean, I love being a principal and I wouldn't trade it for the world. So for those who are looking potentially to be a principal, but you know, not yet in administration, what's kind of the big difference between an AP versus a principal? In my experience, the principal has a lot more of just the behind the scenes kind of managerial type of type of stuff that that needs to take place on the building, you know, balancing budgets and completing reports and, you know, things like that, which when I was AP, there was a little piece of it, but not so much as what a principal has to do. And so when I became a principal, I learned real quick, like, all right this is why so many principals kind of sit in their office mm-hmm. all day long and then come out and do the rounds because there's so much work to do. And, you know, f- for me, I learned it all comes about balance because after, after about three years, cause this is my six years of principal, the building I'm in after about three years, you know, I, I fell into that stereotypical principal trap where I would come in do the announcements answer phone calls, emails, work on reports, do my lap around the building so everyone can see me, head back to the office, back back to that. And it was wearing me wearing me out. And I, I started to really think, can I really do this? It's I've learned it's all about balance. So there's a lot of times where I'll bring work home. My kids are older though, so I don't come home and do it in front of them. It's when once they go to bed, right. I'll be on the couch. You know, doing things uh, on, my, on my laptop, uh, so spending time with my wife. But I've also learned that, you know, in, in other principles that I admire on social media, like Jay Posick and Mark French, Ryan Shee, they've talked about the whole principles and action group. Yep. With, the, with, with technology and laptops and cell phones, why can't you go sit in a classroom and, and you can do your work there. So that's that's what I've been doing. You know, I got a mobile desk a year ago. It actually broke a couple of weeks ago. So now I'm just go to a classroom. I'll just sit down. And sometimes I'm doing my thing, doing my work in there, but I'm with the kids. Other times, you know, something, an activity will pop up. I'm like, all right, I'm going to close my laptop. I'm going to be part of this. And I'll get engaged and, and just be another participant in the room with them. So it's, I've learned, you know, like I said, it's been six years. So I feel I've learned a lot of, kind of tweaks and things to make the job enjoyable, like where, where I think it needs to be, you know, and at least I would hope nobody got into education at the beginning saying, I want to get an office away from staff and students all day long. Like, yeah. why, why would you even get education? You know, that we're here for the kids and as leaders, we're here for the staff. So we need to be with them as much as we can be. You make a great point about, you know, finding that routine and sometimes the routine is a trap to take you away from the things that are important. So for right. you, 
How did you go being intentional about finding things that are important and getting out of the office and changing the school culture? As I could tell when I was sitting in the office and just making the rounds, you know, once or twice a day, I, I could see the culture take a dive and just the positivity turn for the worst. So it was the summer of 2018 when I, I kind of said, like, I need to, I need to make a change here for myself and for the staff and students because they don't deserve, no one wants to come into a negative atmosphere every day. Yep. So bought a a rolling stand-up desk from Staples and uh, my secretaries were there over the the summer and I put it together and I said, you know, just so you guys know, I'm not really going to be up here with you too much anymore. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I'm going to take this thing out. And it was nice because all last year I was out in the halls, you know, I'd park in an intersection so anyone could come find me. You know, I was able to, I cut down on my emails because nobody was emailing me for problems and I would have to seek them out after school. Like, they could on their plan time at the lunch, just stick their head out of the room and, oh, there he is over in this this wing of the school today and come over and we'd fix whatever needed to be fixed. Right. Um, and then I had a conversation with my social worker before this current school year started. And um, she kind of mentioned, you know, do you think you were equal in getting into all of the, the classrooms? I said, well, yeah, I, you know, I, I went into everyone's room. She goes, are you sure? Like if you were to look back at your Twitter feed, did you showcase every classroom equally, you know, or, or was it kind of all the same, same teachers and same kids getting pictured? And I already knew the answer before, you know, she finished the question and I kind of was like, all right, well, well, no, you know, you're right. I spent most of my time in the halls and not so much in the rooms, which my original goal was. So this year teachers will have their cups with like the popsicle sticks in it. Yep. And that's how they call on students randomly. Sure. Well, that's what I got with my teachers now. So I got a, an index card with every teacher's name on it and I'll pick three a day. And those are the rooms I have to get into for, I guess, somewhat of an informal observation. And I always try to snap a picture, even if it's just, you know, lecture based lesson. I always try to get a picture to share out my you know, personal Twitter and Instagram and our district handles uh, the Facebook page for us. So I'll submit pictures to that. Mm -hmm. And it was nice because in September, my IT guy who runs a Facebook page, he emails me back. I put in a submission and he's like, Mike, this is amazing. You know, you, I think you've already given me a picture of every single classroom in your school. And it's only been like six weeks in. I kind of was like, well, yeah, I know. I'm like, I feel like I'm kind of behind though. I should have hit this quicker than six weeks. So that's kind of how I just ensure that I'm getting into all those rooms, you know, and it's not perfect. It's not like every day, those three are the all, I always get into them. There's days I can't even get down the hall before I get called or radioed for something. Yeah. And I don't make, and I don't make it to any of them. And you know, what I do is I just throw them back into the pile and maybe they'll get picked tomorrow. Maybe they'll get picked the next time. But you know, once someone's been picked and I get in there and it's not for observation purposes, you know, it's just to see what's going on and be a part of the learning. Yeah. I kind of put that card to the side to make sure I get to everybody else before I get back in there. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my process of it. And it seems to be working pretty well right now. Yeah, and I want to touch on the social media aspect. You know, some schools don't even have anything that they share out with their parents or with their students in regards to what's going on in the classroom or telling the story of the school. So why is right. it so important for you to to get on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook to share out what's going on in the classrooms and in your school? I've learned that a lot of what the public, the media, parents and stakeholders in the communities, with anything in life, the negative is always what gets the attention. I mean, look at the news. 
you you rarely see those positive pieces on things. I mean, you do, but the other 80, 85% is just all this horrible stuff happening in our world. And that's, you know, that's what people say about, about schools. You know, the teachers don't get recognized for all the hard work they do. They get recognized for the one test score, the one year their test scores don't meet the benchmark, or a parent has an issue with something that happened, you know, in school, how, how their child was handled, even though everything's filed the protocol. So then they're out there saying these horrible things about the school. So mm-hmm. in our community, we get a good number of parent volunteers, but it's not where we would like it to be. So I kind of realized, I'm like, well, I need to let, if they're not going to come to us, you know, our doors are wide open, but if, if they're not going to come in, because whether they're working, you know, and I understand that, I'm going to show them what we're doing. So it's important for us to show every single classroom, you know, showcase all the students, the different activities, the different assemblies, the just everything that's going on. And like I said, it's even sometimes just, you know, I'll send a picture to Facebook and I'll put it on my personal accounts, but it doesn't get put on our district Facebook. And that's why I encourage parents to follow me on my accounts um, because it doesn't have to be all glitz and glamor out of the box, you know, every day. I mean, that's, those are great. And we definitely share those, but the engage seeing a group of students, they're 25 hands up as the teachers in the front asking a question. I mean, you got to show that engagement. These kids are into that lesson. Um, and I've found that, you know, every year as a principal in the summer, I would get emails and phone calls from, from parents saying, Hey, you know, I saw the class list or I know the class lists are coming out. I want my kid in this teacher's room you know, trying to make those requests because of maybe they're sit there, their other kids went through the district or they know people and they've talked, you know, bad about certain teachers and their approaches. But this last year, these last two years, to be honest, you know, with, with everything I've been sharing out, I didn't get one phone call, one email, one request from anybody about placing their kids somewhere else. And I like to attribute that to us showing what we're doing. I mean, it's not hiding anything for you. Like, look at, it doesn't matter what third grade room your kid gets put in. They're all doing amazing things. They're all amazing teachers. So, you know, let's, it, it's, for me, it's helped out a lot. And I mean, still, I, I haven't had anybody request a, a class change this year. So I don't think if I wasn't sharing this stuff out there, I would have been getting phone calls, you know? Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the balance piece. And you talked about in the third year of your principalship, feeling kind of burnt out and overwhelmed by the job. So what did you do to kind of get out of that rut and find that passion again to correct the, the things that need to happen in, in the school and maybe change the perspective of what the principalship is? And like, where do you get your inspiration? I get my inspiration from seeing the staff excited, smiling, collaborating, ready to, to excited to come in each day. You know, that lets me know that I'm doing a good job as their leader, creating that environment that people want to be in. Because I never say I'm going to work. You know, I always say I, I'm going to school because to me, you know, it's it's not work. Like I enjoy doing it. And yes, there's those days where you want to beat your head against the wall. But uh, overall, I mean, I, I'm a pretty positive guy and um, I know we'll talk about it later, but uh on the podcast I co-host, we just did a whole episode on positivity and, you know, it gets a bad rap by some people, especially people on social media saying that, you know, we're just trying to hide the real issues, but it's not true. I, if I'm not positive, 
you know, my staff's not going to be positive and then the kids won't be positive. It's, it, it's a waterfall effect. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's things that go wrong. There's things that frustrate me. There's things that I want to change that I don't have the power to change, but I can't just dwell on that. There's plenty of things that are going well, that are there to celebrate and let's celebrate those, you know? And so I get my inspiration back to the original question. You know, it's from seeing the teachers excited to come in and just want to work together and work with these kids. Like I said, those that my about my third year, I could just tell, especially this time of the year, you know, state testing is right around the corner in a couple of weeks. You know, it's that break before winter break and spring break. You know, the weather here in Chicagoland, it's up and down. It's 51 day, 20 the next. You know, people get tired and just worn down. And that's not happening this year. And that's a good thing because the kids are still pumped up. The parents are pumped up. So, I mean, that's, that's where I get my inspiration from. And I've, I've noticed that if a week goes by where I have a lot of meetings scheduled or I'm not available to, to be as visible as I like to be, you can kind of see a dip. And I'm not saying like I'm the only reason that it's, it's a great, happy place to be. But Todd Whitaker, one of my edu heroes, you know, he says when the principal sneezes, the whole school catches the cold. Yep. And it's so true because there's been times where I'll bring my baggage in with me. And I used to do this in the past and I will get on the announcements. And then people would come up to me and say like, what is wrong with you today? We could just tell you're not yourself because of the way you did the announcements. I'm like, are you serious? And they're like, yeah. And I could just see everyone else kind of moving slow and just drudging through the day. So I need to set that tone. I mean, every morning, no matter what, energetic and excited and telling the kids it's going to be a great day that I love them. You know, let's, let's be kind, let's change the world. And it's funny because I have a poster on my front office door that my social worker put up there a year ago. And it says, it's going to be a rainbows and unicorns kind of day (laughs) because she said, she said, she's like, you're always so just positive. Not everything is just great. I'm like, yeah, there's like, there's, there's always a silver lining in everything. We got to find that. Let's focus on that. So one other tool I like to use, administrators got to be careful with this one because it, it depended on your staff and the way the unions are. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was told a long time ago, don't ever go into the teacher's workroom when they're having lunch. That's their time. You know, that's their sacred time. Don't bother them when they're having lunch. Well, I do. And that's where our water cooler is. So I'll make sure to go fill my 32 ounce bottle up <laughs> during various, various lunch periods. So it takes a good, you know, 45 seconds to fill it up. And if the conversations stop when you walk in, then you know that there's kind of a problem with, with the culture and the climate of the building, because either one, you know, they're talking about you mm-hmm. or two, they're talking, you know, just gossiping or talking negative about the kids. And almost every time I walk into the workroom during lunch, the conversations don't stop and I'll get pulled into them sometimes. You know, I just want to run in, fill the water up and get out. But people will ask me questions. They'll bring me in. Sometimes we're talking about school stuff. Sometimes we're talking about stuff outside of life. And that's a good, you know, kind of test for me to say like, all right, when, when the lunchroom has to become like just a, you know, a, a complaint fest, that's something, that's something good that we're doing here. So you brought it up in the last answers part of one of the many projects that you do, but the punk rock podcast, what is kind of yes. the origin story and what do you all talk about on the podcast? Yeah. So it all started with, uh, so I started blogging to get out of my comfort zone, uh, about a year and a half ago. And 
you know, like most blogs, like I didn't have a theme to them, you know, they, they varied each post. Mm-hmm. And I grew up riding a skateboard, listening to punk rock. Uh, and I started, I started making these connections between some of the, these pieces of that punk rock subculture, like, you know, passion, unity, the DIY, do it yourself, you know, having a crew behind you. Mm-hmm. And I started making these connections from my punk rock background to education. And so I just started writing some blogs about it. So I'm in a mastery chat and I shared out a blog I had just written and I referenced this New York hardcore band called Sick of It All. And this guy, Josh Buckley, he was in the mastery chat too. It was his first time doing the mastery chat. And he just kind of responded to my my post and he's like, oh my God. He's like, this guy just referenced Sick of It All in an education blog. <laughs> and so then you know, he had some some tweets back and forth throughout the mastery chat, like, oh, I th- you're my new best friend now, and blah, blah, blah. Well, we, you know, it was summertime, so we started, we had a couple phone calls uh, with each other, and, you know, we were just talking back and forth, and he's like, you know, what do you, he's like, I really like what you're doing. I, he, he read a couple of the other blogs I'd written connecting the two, and he's like, you know, have you ever done a podcast before? I'm like, no, I'm like, I would love I'm like, I actually want to start a podcast of my own, but I have no experience, you know, or of even what to do. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's like, well, I, I've run a comic book podcast before. So he's like, I know how to handle all that. The recording, the posting. So we spent the rest of the summer kind of talking out some ideas. Uh, a lot of it was via text. You know, I think we had two actual phone conversations because he's in Arizona. I'm here in Chicago. I think it was September. We kind of uh, were like, all right, well, let's, let's record. So, I remember I hopped on my computer. I didn't have a microphone, headphones, nothing. Yeah, I just hopped on. We hit record, and we just kind of talked about uh, a few things. And we told ourselves we want to keep it to about a half hour, so that way people can listen to it on like a planned time, a commute. Um, and we're just going to talk about punk rock and education. And it wasn't just for people who are into punk rock, but if you are great, if not, you know, we'll talk about educational stuff and our goal was to do two a month. And then we kind of realized, I don't know. It seems like people, people are kind of saying like they can't wait for the next episode. So in between our full length episodes, we'll do a, a reflection piece. It's either him or I now. Um, so I'll have one coming out uh, on Monday. Well, depending on when this, this when your podcast airs, who knows, but <laughs> we just kind of, we'll do a 10 minute reflection piece you know, on, on either a topic we've talked about or just anything in education or life in general. Um, so now we got, so there's something that drops every week, but the cool thing is I got him on Voxer and you and I were talking about Voxer before we started recording. Yeah. And we feel that the conversations we're having now are so much better than those first couple episodes. You know, it's, it's like, we listen back to like episode one, episode two, and it's like, man, I don't know. Like, I don't want to say it wasn't good, but it's, you know, we're barely scratching the surface on some things and we're more comfortable with each other. Now we, we talk daily through Voxer and we kind of know each other and we've gotten to know each other a little more personal and, uh, you know, it's true friendship because of this. And so now it's whole background of punk rock mentality. Like we're not, we're, we're finally, you know, not afraid to to say some things that people might be afraid to say in education is people have reached out to us and sent us, you know, personal messages on Twitter saying like, Oh, you know, I'm so glad you said that. I, you know, that needed to be said, but mm-hmm. people walk around it. So it's just a lot of fun 
draw on these connections. We got uh, we got some fun ideas for some episodes coming up. I don't want to share too much about it, but I'm really, <laughs> I'm really excited about about a new twist we're gonna take uh, coming up in April. So very cool. Yeah. All right. So that kind of goes into another initiative that you just announced, and I'm curious to know what the direction of this is, which is education never dies. Yeah, so this is interesting. There's a guy, Michael Murphy, who I've known on Twitter for a couple of years. Um, we've been hooked up on Boxer for about a year and a half. And he sends me a message one day. He's like, hey, how would you feel about if I started a Boxer group with you know you and Josh, if you can get Josh on Boxer? This is how we got him on Boxer to begin with. He's like, with you and Josh and Che and Pat from the Staff Room podcast. I'm like, yeah. if they want to do it, yeah. I'm like, I love the Staff Room podcast. Let's, let's hook it up. So the five of us were in this Voxer group and then it kind of turned into, um, you know, we just invited other people we know. So there's the five of us. Uh, we invited Taylor Armstrong, uh, Santiago Meza, Christine Ravisi Weinstein, uh, Tony Coppola. I think that would be all nine of us. Uh, cause there's nine of us in there now. And we just were having conversations and, we, we were talking about different dialects because Che and Pav are from Canada. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we got some people from the South, you know, uh, from Alabama, Texas. So we were just talking about different dialects. They tell me I sound like uh, Chris Farley from Saturday Night Live when he does <laughs> the, the Bears. And I said, I don't hear it at all. Uh, we talked about, you know, is Die Hard a Christmas movie, which it is. We talked about lesson plans. What's the meaning behind them? Like, do we really need lesson plans if you know what you're doing in the classroom? Uh, we That we talked about, you know, a true leader versus a manager. And I went for a run one day and, you know, we were toying around with the idea of starting, you know, a a chat of our own. And I came back from a run. I got this really cool idea. Like what if we were something more than just a a weekly chat? We just started talking on Voxer and we launched it in February. So we started a chat. We've done it for three weeks now. It's Wednesday nights, 8.30 Central Time, so right after the kids deserve a chat. It's a half hour. We do three questions, trying to tackle topics that some of the chat questions just aren't rehashed over and over. Not saying they're bad, but I mean, I think we've all been in some chats when I'm like, I answered this a couple months ago. I'm just going to retweet the same answer, you know? So, Because we kind of felt like we're all so different, the nine of us, but we're not. And we had the same vision of where we want education to go. And at times we all feel alone and we don't want educators to feel they have to be somebody they're not or fit into some mold um, and not do things that they know are the right things to do. So in conjunction with the chat, we launched a website, uh, which is educationneverdies.com. On there, you can meet all of us. We each did a, a little intro video of what Education Never Dies means to us. There's a blog up there. I think currently my blog is the only one that's up there. I just kind of wrote how we came to be and uh, what it means to me. And then the cool thing is we have almost like a, it's it's like a Dear Abby where people can submit a question or a frustration or something they're facing in education that they don't really have a, a solution for. And maybe they're not comfortable asking their colleagues in district mm-hmm. so they can submit it to us. And we might use it in a future chat or try to address it right then and there if they give us their contact info. And then there's also a teacher feature right now where they can nominate an amazing educator they know uh, that we have some ideas of how to feature them for us. Um, And in a few weeks, we're looking to, to not only have our chat on Wednesdays, but have an after hours type of conversation with those who want to be involved in that. So kind of continuing these conversations 
after the chat's over because I've been in chats where there's great conversations that happen, but once that time limit's up and the chat's over, like well, that's just kind of it and everyone just moves on. Yeah. Um, so we're looking at some avenues uh, that I'm really excited about that we're going to be able uh, to just keep those conversations going and building, uh, just building a bigger PLN with, uh, with other educators out there. So Michael, I want to talk about some more exciting news. You just announced that you signed a book deal for EduMatch. That's correct. Yeah. Um, so what's that going to be about? So yeah, that's another project. Uh, I'm very, very excited about. Um, it's tentatively titled the the Culture Cookbook. Uh, you know, recipes to positively transform classroom and school cultures. And you know, I not to give too much away, but I've noticed when I speak at conferences, uh, when I participate in Twitter chats and mention things about things that I have done to transform the culture of the school. Um, those are the, those are the, the topics I get the most questions on. Well, how do you do that? How did you do struggle Island? You know, like mm -hmm. people wanted to know that, you know, so I kind of started to write about it and the way it came about is my daughter came up to me one day. She's like, are you writing a book? I'm like, well, hopefully. And my son, we were baking cookies later that same night and we were found the recipe card and it just kind of clicked. I'm like, I'm going to make a cookbook of, uh, of all the, the recipes, all the things that I've done to transform our culture. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because I actually was a cook for about 15 years throughout high school and college. If I didn't go to, if I didn't go into education, I would have gone to culinary school. So kind of going back to my background, if you ask my wife, she'll say, well, you don't cook at all at home anymore. <laughs> so you can't even say you're still a cook, but, but, uh, that was a background I had for, for many years. And, uh, yeah, so I'm working on that. It's pretty early in the process. So, you know, like I'd say uh, around the early spring um, of 2021, you know, maybe February, March, we're hoping to have the, have the book drop, but uh, definitely, you know, if you're following me, there's, I got one blog out right now, which is a basis for one of the chapters, Struggle Island. So you want to go read that to get an idea. There'll be some other blogs I put out to kind of like tease at things going on. But uh, sure. when I talked with uh, Sarah, like I said, I'm not going to give away anything, but we've got some really, really cool ideas we're hoping to pull off where it's not, you're not just going to get a book with things that, I, that I've done. You know, there's going to be a little something more to it. So really excited for that when it comes out. So Michael, I know you're speaking more and more. Um, you were just at IdeaCon. I'm just wondering if anyone wants to hear you speak. Is there any conferences you're going to be speaking at soon? Honestly, right now, what I'm looking forward to is March 16th when Teach Better opens up their... Uh, proposals yes teach better 20 because i was at teach better 19 and i've told jeff and ray and uh, chad this that that was by far the best educational conference i've ever been at and yeah. i mean the sessions were amazing but more so like like we mentioned earlier just seeing these people i feel like i've known but then getting to be with them face to face connecting learning just you know conversations in the hallway or out at dinner that was the best part of that conference and what we're looking forward to is obviously i want to put in a uh, solo proposal to speak to kind of talk about my culture cookbook kind of piece once teach better announced the dates for the conference october 2nd and 3rd my co-host josh and i looked at the at the calendar and we are both free that's that week so him and i are gonna are working on a proposal to submit for us to speak together and hopefully bring the punk rock classrooms podcast to the podcasters row like they had last year so we're hoping uh josh and i on stage for the first time ever you know 
meet us meeting face to face and present together if if all goes is planned, you know. So yeah, man. And if you're in podcasters row, you better be next to me. I'm gonna I'll request that if uh, <laughs> if we can get there, you know. <laughs> Well, that's awesome, man. I can't wait to see you again. Michael, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. If our listeners want to connect with you on social media, how would they go about doing that? The best way is on Twitter. And uh, I just changed my handle. So it's at EduChefEarnshaw. So it's E-D-U-C-H-E-F-E-A-R-N-S-H-A-W. If you, if you connect with me on Twitter, you'll find everything else there. I mean, I have my blog a long title so it's in my uh, profile so you can find it on my twitter profile same instagram it's at edu chef earnshaw so you can follow me on instagram we hook up with me on twitter and then we can get voxer going and everything else going uh, after that yes definitely connect with michael he's an amazing administrator educator i've been connected with him on twitter voxer you are an inspiration to my leadership journey and i appreciate your time this evening oh i appreciate you having me i'm glad we finally were able to make it work